Father, I thank you that there's been an agreement made, a covenant made, a binding agreement. We yield to you in that. We thank you this morning as we remember the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And I thank you, Father God, that in that new covenant, we have been placed into the church. We have been given access into your kingdom. We can stand before your throne. We can be a part of your family. What grace, what mercy, what goodness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In his name, amen. As we begin 2021, there's lots of things that we do at the beginning of a year. Um, I made a New Year's resolution a few years ago to not make New Year's resolutions because what's the point? (laughs) They don't last. This could be more of the same. And I, I don't want to be a... I don't want to be just really mean and ugly, but we can have more of the same. It could be hard. The whole idea of, of whether it's hard or easy and how we get through that has a lot to do with how we relate to God. And as we begin this year, Zach and I have talked a long time about going through a series of messages examining what it means to live as the church because the stronger the church is, the, the greater our lives will be. It, it really is important for believers to understand the importance of a strong church. Church universal and church local. We live in a time when we can access endless supplies of Christian music and Bible teaching through radio and television and internet. And, of course, the good old printed books and papers. We live in, I mean, it's endless. So, so why do we need to gather like this? Why do we get together on a Sunday morning and, and listen to somebody and sing songs? And why, why do we do this? I mean, if we can get all of that on, on the Internet, isn't virtual church good enough and and so, so why do we gather? And the answer to that question is, is very, very simple. God designed it this way. This is what God intended. God designed church to be a gathering of his people. And the reality is he designed church to be people. The New Testament teaches the importance of the, the local assembly of Christ followers gathering together. That's what we see in the New Testament. As the apostles took the gospel everywhere outside of Jerusalem in that that, that original meeting, they established local gatherings of people. And we see this especially in the ministry of Paul. As he traveled to a city, he would begin preaching. He would very often begin preaching in a synagogue, but he would also preach on the streets. And out of that preaching, there would be a gather of believers, a gathering of believers would be formed that would become a church in a a community. 
The New Testament word in the English church is translated from the Greek ecclesias, and it means the called people or those called out. And it implies a group of, of people that are separated from the world, called out Christ followers. That group of people has, has two distinct aspects. When we talk about being called out of the world, when we talk about the church, there's two aspects. The first one is that Ecclesiastes des- designates all who have believed in God's plan for dealing with sin. All. This is all believers of all times, often referred to as the invisible church or the universal church. We can see this in a, in a, in a way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink one Spirit. There is universally one church, and that is all believers of all time. The second designation of, of this idea of church is believers gathering together in a local assembly. That's what's occurring right now. The, the church split, spread, and, and there were groups that would gather together, even, even sometimes in some of the larger cities you, in the first century. You'd have more than one church, local church. And some of the New Testament letters were written to specific local churches. And then those local churches would go, this is incredible. We just got this from Paul. You need to read this. And they would send it. And, and those became letters that traveled to a variety of local churches. So here we are in Douglas, Wyoming. We have many local churches. We have Baptist churches. We have evangelical free churches. We have non-denominational churches. We, we have other denominations. We have a bunch of churches in this community. And within those churches, there are believers, and all of those believers are the universal church. But each individual gathering is also a local church. The New Testament clearly teaches that every believer is to actively participate in a local assembly. When I first heard this kind of teaching early in my life as a believer, the, the, the pastor said, God didn't, didn't design any lone, lone rangers. There's no lone ranger Christians. You belong to a body. You belong. And that's what God intended. The New Testament clearly teaches that, that active participation is valuable and necessary. And in Hebrews 10.25, the author states this as a command and as a practical a practical reason for belonging. The author of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you, say, as you see the day drawing near. We are to do this, and there's parts that we are to play in what we do. The reality is, God intended, and the New Testament that He's given to us teaches that the only place that God designed for believers to commit to is the church. This is where Christ's followers receive stimulation, training, ministry, and fellowship. You can, you can get something. It's not like internet stuff is bad. It's not like I don't want you ever to tune into your favorite preacher on the radio. 
The idea is that what God does between believers in the local fellowship is his design and vitally important. There's aspects of this gathering together. For example, when Paul gave instructions to, to Timothy about the church, in, in 1 Timothy 4.13, he said, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And in that verse, Paul identifies three imperatives. There's three things that we have to do as the local church. Reading the Word, exhortation, and teaching. Those are three components that should occur every, every time the body of Christ gets together. What I want to do this morning is dig deeper into the New Testament design of the church. And, and to do that, I want to go back and look at the beginning, because that helps us with some of the design. So let's go back. We're, we're going to go back in history. We're 50 days since Passover. And it's the Passover when the Lamb of God was slain. Jesus went to the cross as the Lamb. He, t- he took away the sins of all who would believe. So we're 50 days after that Passover. And there's another Jewish festival. It's called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. The Greek term that's used for that feast is the Feast of Pentecost because it occurred 50 days after Passover. The prophet Joel, going back even further in history, linked agricultural prosperity and provision from God with the coming of the Holy Spirit centuries before Christ. And he prophesied about certain events that we find in Acts chapter 1. What's going on in Acts chapter 1? And I know I'm bouncing around historically, but, but Joel sets this clear up centuries before. Jesus comes, and he goes to the cross, and he ascends into heaven. And, and now we're, we're 50 days after his death, burial, and resurrection. We learn that in Acts 1.15, excuse me, there were about 120 people gathered together specifically for the feast of Passover or of, of Pentecost. And Peter, Peter stands up and he addresses the group. And there's, there's some issues that have to be dealt with. And, and first he speaks about Judas and what became of the traitor. And he leads the group in replacing Judas. And then... What Joel had prophesied actually happens. We pick this up in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled and saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, which we were born, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites? and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. So you have all these people from, from all over the, the known world, and, and, and they hear this commotion in all these languages and all this stuff going on, 
And the first thing that they thought was, they're all drunk. But Peter then stands again, and he delivers the first Christian sermon. And he preaches about Joel's sermon, uh, prophecy in that sermon. So he's explaining what is happening. And then he tells the story about Jesus. He, he shares about the miracles and the teachings and, and the sacrificial death and the resurrection and the ascension back into heaven. So, so Peter's taken this group of people. It's a little bit unsure of exactly how large it had grown, but he has taken them all the way through this whole process of understanding that Joel had prophesied this was going to happen, and now you're experiencing that prophecy coming to pass. The people were astonished. And in many ways, they were very troubled by what they heard. So now in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, now when they heard this, what Peter had preached, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, what that describes is the birth of the church. And it went from a bunch of Jews, the disciples, and a little bit larger group of those that were following Jesus, 120, to 3,000. So instantly we have a megachurch. We also see in that that there was some form of organization because they counted them. They knew, they knew what was going on. What we also see in this passage in, in the birth of the, the church is that there are four basic principles that are evident in the local church. And I am very convinced that these four principles have not changed. We didn't reach a certain point in time and God said, now you can do away with number three. These four principles are still a part of the church. And this, this idea continues today. And where do we find those? It's in verse 42. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That pattern became the essence of their existence. That, that's very important because that helps us understand continually devoting. This became those early believers' existence. They were continually devoted to those four things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Apostles' teaching, for us today, that's this. That's Scripture. Fellowship, well, we get that. Breaking of bread, we'll talk some more about that in a little bit. And prayer. Those are all foundational, functional requirements of the church, of a local body. Those people 
who were following Christ by faith were continually devoted to that. So this devotion showed up in a certain way. It, It was displayed through the passion for Scripture. They had a passion for the apostles' teaching. They also grew in their passion for the Old Testament, which was a part of the apostles' teaching. This is the importance today, what we would call the importance of of preaching and teaching. This devotion is also displayed by the deeply held commitment and desire for fellowship. We've gone through that in several ways in the past year. There have been numerous times when people said, we have to get together. This is where this mandate, is what I call it, for believers to get together comes from. So even though COVID has occurred, we are to get together. The pattern that was established from the day of Pentecost on is a pattern of a devotion to get together with other believers. Fellowship. The devotion displayed in these four things is also seen by the the regular breaking of bread. And breaking of bread in this context can actually have two different meanings. One is getting together to share a meal. You have a friends over, you have a group, small group together, we have a potluck, whatever it is, you share a meal together. So in that sense, it's breaking bread that way. But even more importantly, the breaking of bread refers to what we just did. Taking communion. Remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through the eating of bread and drinking of wine. That's the church. This devotion in these four areas is also displayed in the prayer life of each believer, individually and corporately. The more we pray, the more we are the church. The more we pray, the more we fellowship together around our prayer, the the more those things work. No prayer no power. I've said that many times. Prayer is a vital part of the church. Now, there's a result of this, these principles and the devotion that, that came with them. That, that result is, is also in Acts chapter 2 in verse 43. And I love this passage because this is where I'd like for First Baptist Church to be. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the things that I'm looking for and the things that I, my vision is, is, is that awe. Look at what God's doing. Look around. Wow, did you just see that? That was something God just did. And I also see this as this idea of continuing in one mind. Luke Luke describes this idea of them coming together and they're selling their property and everything. He's not talking about communism. He's not talking about us all just becoming, living on a commune. That's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about the body of Christ being fit together, as the scripture describes, in such a way that if somebody has a need, you did whatever is necessary to meet their need, to help one another. Because the body of Christ matters. The body of Christ matters more than our stuff. The other thing that this all begins to present to us is that the the church is not a place. It's not a building. I I know that many of us use that kind of language this morning. Yep, I'll see you in a little while. I'm going to go to church. Okay, I get that, but that's really not true. You are the church. The church is people, men, women, boys and girls, called to assemble as, as God's beloved son and, sons and daughters. We're to gather together. That's the church. Through faith in Jesus, we have become the church. This is the, the church that, that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 16, 18. And I will say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. The church, that's you and me. It's every believer. It's the believers who are gathered here this morning. Jesus was not talking about buildings when he said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. He's talking about people. Scripture uses many metaphors to illustrate the church. And the the principal metaphors that we see in Scripture are the human body, Marriage, family, building, and flock. Using the human body metaphor, Paul wrote in Romans 6.3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We have been placed into the body of Christ, into Christ Jesus, into something. What is that? Well, some of those metaphors, it's a body. And within all of those metaphors, there is a description of a deep relationship. A deep relationship that connects every single believer in two ways. The first way that every believer is connected is that we are connected to God through salvation in Jesus Christ. Anywhere you go, at any time in the history of the church, the believers have been connected to God. The second way believers are connected is we are connected to one another through salvation provided by Christ. So the same operation has connected you to every other person universally in the church and specifically in the local church that God has placed you in. You are connected. Both connections are uniquely manifested in the local church. Scripture identifies these connections in a certain way. And that, that identification, the term is covenant. Covenant. Maybe it's our stubborn, independent, and sinful nature. No, nobody in Wyoming is really independent, right? We all just kind of, wow. Maybe we were afraid of getting too close to people and, and getting hurt. Maybe we don't see church in this way of, of a covenant because there are so many churches and, and, we, and we take the idea of, of church for granted. It's just something we've always done. 
But the clear teaching of Jesus and the apostles is that Christ followers are in a covenant relationship with God and at the same time with other believers. You are in a covenant relationship with every other believer in this room right now, according to Scripture. So covenant relationships are vital to a healthy church, a healthy and strong church. Every person becomes a Christ follower because of the new covenant promises. The church was created by the new covenant, and the new covenant guarantees the success of the church. It's all tied together to that same thing, covenant. The church has been given to Jesus as a bride through a sacred marriage covenant, the new covenant. Let's take a minute. What what do I mean by covenant? We need a better idea of what that means biblically. The idea of a covenant is an idea of a a close bond between parties. It's an agreement, but it's a a close bond. And in Scripture, covenants, if you go through, you'll, you'll discover that covenants joined two into one. There's a joining together that you see in Scripture when it comes to covenants. The two identify with each other, and there's there's a change in relationship. Biblical covenants are intended to last for generations. They they were never intended to, to have an end. Scriptural covenants are not easy to break. And this is seen in the practice of, of how covenants were formed. There was a practice, if you were to come into a covenant with, with someone, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to covenant with Brian. So, so we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to go find something to slaughter. Now, for he and I, it's a fish, usually. usually. Something had to die, and, and the process would be you'd sacrifice an animal, and very often you'd split it, and you'd walk between the two. Blood was shed, and you both observed that slaughter, that sacrifice, as understanding that if you broke the covenant, the same thing would happen to you. So these covenants, we need to understand, are very strong binding agreements. It is the, this kind of covenant relationship with God and other Christ followers that forms the church. And this is the basis for the church's strength. The church, as you know, probably if you've you've studied any history, has gone through some incredibly difficult times. And there are places in the world that it's going through really difficult times right now. I heard on the news just this morning. Christians are being persecuted to death in Pakistan. Right now, as we speak. Those are our brothers and sisters. We are joined to them by a covenant relationship with God because of the new covenant provided by Jesus through his blood sacrifice. We can't take this lightly. You are in a covenant relationship. I like how John Piper puts it. He says... Christ has created us by a covenant to be His people, not just individuals, but a people, a body, a bride for Himself. To fulfill that covenant calling demands that we form assemblies called churches, visible churches, which in some way make a covenant together to be the body of Christ for each other, for the world, and for the glory of God. Jesus died on the cross 
to do something that is a covenant with us. Not living in a covenant causes the church to be weak and easily fractured. To have the the sense of awe that we read about in Acts. And And to see the power of God through the church, each believer must understand the people of God are inseparably connected by the work of Christ. That kind of steps on our toes sometimes if we're, we're, we're really into our individuality. But Christ died for you. And so in this room, you can look around and, and, and maybe you're sitting next to somebody. You know, there's two sisters. I'm going to pick on them, you know. By the way, the harmony was really good this morning. Thank you. Christ died for both of you. Right? You are in a covenant relationship then simply because he died for both of you. You can, you can do that with anyone in this room. You're, you are still an individual, but as an individual, you are in this, this covenant with everyone else. That should empower us as the church. That's where we gain strength. That's where we can go through whatever happens. It's a wonderful relationship. It's it's wonderfully a part of our celebration of communion. We just did that. When we celebrate communion, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the foundation of the church. And, And what is that? A covenant. He took the cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Who's the many? When Jesus said that, according to Scripture, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Who's the many? It's for every believer. It's for the church. Every Christ follower has been sovereignly and invincibly purchased by God for a people, for himself, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his Son. We the church, we are the church. We are God's people chosen by him for his kingdom purposes here in this time, in this place. I I sometimes let my mind wander and I, I would really like to have been born in the late 1800s, 1875, 1880 in there. That's, that would have been my time. That's not when God chose to have me. I'm here in this time, and so are you. That's by God's design. He chose you for this time. He chose you out of the world through his son, through his blood, and placed you into the church. You are a part of this covenant group of people called First Baptist Church. If you call this your church, if you're a regular attender, if you're a member, if this is where you go to get that stimulation and that exhortation and that teaching, then this is, this is where that covenant works. Now, there's another aspect of this whole idea of being the church and it being people and not a place. And that is that when we finish this morning and we leave and we go our separate ways, we don't stop being the church. You don't walk out the doors 
walk down the ramp or down the, the stairs and stop being the church. If you're a Christ follower, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you walk out of here this morning, you are still just as much the church as when you're sitting in the pew, singing songs, praying, having communion, or listening to the the, the sermon. You are the church. That means that everywhere you go, everything you do, everywhere you are seen by the world around you, you are seen as the church. We are the church, and we have a blood-bought covenant responsibility as the church. That responsibility is to one another within the local assembly, and that responsibility is to the universal church. And it's all so that one thing can can, can occur. God can be glorified. The church is here to glorify Him. We do that in several ways. Gathering together, bringing new people into the kingdom, teaching one another, building one another up. All of those things you're going to find as we go through this series about the church. Through that all, remember, you are the church. You don't ever stop being the church. So as we finish this morning, let's pray and then go be the church. Father, thank you for giving us opportunity to share in your kingdom. I thank you that you use us in a variety of ways. I thank you, Father God, that you have have placed us divinely into the church. And I ask, Father God, that you would stir us up by your Holy Spirit, that that the Spirit that dwells within us because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, that Spirit will teach us and guide us and give us words to speak and, and ideas and move us forward as the people of God. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you, Father God, that you want us to be strong committed to one another, living in the covenant provided by the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for each person here this morning. And I ask, Father God, as they they go from this place, that they would, would continue to feel connected to the church and to the good things that are available because of the church. Be glorified, Father God, and use us. We make ourselves available to you as the church. In Christ's name, amen.